Your company's future success demands agile, flexible, and resilient operations. I'm your host, Christian Johnson, and you're listening to McKinsey Talks Operations, a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover how to create a new operational reality. Our previous episode looked at one of the most exciting examples of digital transformation in industry, the digital twin, covering what digital twins are, where they can add value, and most importantly, how to capture it. One of the guests in that discussion, McKinsey partner Kimberly Borden, is helping us push the discussion even further in an interview recorded at the 2022 Farnborough International Air Show. She's speaking with Dr. Will Roper, a former U.S. Air Force Assistant Secretary for Acquisition Technology and Logistics, and now a senior advisor to McKinsey about the digital imperative in research and development. That's an area where digital twins are already generating substantial value. The conversation focuses on how Dr. Roper saw the potential of digital transformation in Formula One racing, and on the need to dream big, but with solid implementation plans always in mind. Let's listen in. Today, we're joined with Dr. Will Roper, who is a former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force and led a lot of the digital and acquisition for the Air Force. Thank you very much, Will, for joining us today. Thanks, Kim. I'll talk about this subject anywhere, anytime, but it's especially good to do it around a lot of airplanes and space systems, so an especially appropriate place to talk about digital transformation. It's terrific. Given your experience in the Air Force and really transforming the way they thought and worked on airplanes and the acquisition process, can you tell us a little bit about what made you realize that the change was needed and exactly how you went about that change? Good question, Kim. I did not go into the Air Force and Space Force acquisition job thinking digital transformation and digital engineering is going to be the platform I'm going to push. It was actually when we awarded the T7 program, the replacement for our current trainer, that I realized something was different about it. The The cost came in significantly lower, and there were new airplanes that had been built a lot faster than we had seen in the past. And so I, I got under the hood and tried to learn well, what's different about it and realized that that these digital engineering techniques that have been perfected in other industries, the automotive industry and Formula One, have now started crossing over into defense and thought, well, this is going to be exceptionally potent. It should change how we do business. But I need to get smarter on it. And I tried to determine who's leading the world on this. And by far, it was Formula One racing. I was very fortunate that just down the road here, the McLaren Racing Team was just very gracious to to open up how they compete for races every week. And I realized that what they do on a weekly basis looks like the way we do software. Mm -hmm. The same agility for software, I was watching it for hardware. And so that's such a powerful concept I'd love to talk about today with you. But that's where I got excited about it. I realized this can change how we can compete against other militaries. It can change the cadence by which we bring new technologies into programs and really create more opportunities Mm -hmm. for companies in defense acquisition. And so I pivoted to digital transformation, digital engineering as a a key thing I wanted to uh, leave behind. And I wrote a lot about it because I was uh, so passionate Mm -hmm. about it. 
That's amazing. And it's one thing to have a vision. It's another thing to get the entire Air Force as well as primes on board. How exactly did you, what were some of the things that allowed you to change that many organizations and even the Air Force itself? Well, the first way I tried to do it failed. So, you know, you you see the successes after you hit the failures. But, you know, I ran around talking about digital engineering, model-based system engineering, and I kind of got a, yeah, we're already doing that, Will. Mm-hmm. We use computers for everything. Look, look at our computers. Look at the CAD. Look at, mm-hmm. you know, look at the testing uh, scripts that we run before we go physically test. And I realized this is going to require a very different messaging approach, a very different branding approach. And so I'll give a lot of credit to my wife. She let me take our vacation and and write a document that was our digital transformation strategy mm-hmm. for the Air Force and Space Force called There Is No Spoon. It's mm-hmm. a Matrix sci-fi inspired thing. But I wrote it that way very intentionally for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't want it to look like anything that had ever been written in the government mm-hmm. before. And most government documents, they're good bedtime reading. I'll leave it there. They're not written well. <laughs> They're not written by the people who put them out. Mm. And I would always ask myself when I was a younger person in government, if it's not important enough for the principal to write it, why is it important enough for me to read it? Mm -hmm. So the 36 or so pages total that have been put out have all been written by me. So I tried to write it in a different way. I really liked the idea of using The Matrix. It's a 22-year-old movie. But it's concept that you can create a digital reality that in almost every respect can substitute for it. Now, we're not there yet, but for engineering purposes, we are, and we should adopt it. So that was the second thing. The third thing, I just wanted to make it readable. Mm -hmm. People would be able to just digest it, not have a lot of tech jargon in it, and really use it to get people inspired to go find the digital transformation opportunities in their programs. Mm -hmm. And a handful did a great job of doing that. Ground-based strategic deterrent or the Sentinel now, the replacement for the Minuteman 3, Next Generation Air Dominance, the B-52 Commercial Mm -hmm. Re-Engine Program, the A-10 Re-Wing. There were a handful of programs that got it and they went and did it. And the more that do it, the more will be inspired to follow after them. It feels like you're doing a a continuous thing. Mm -hmm. It's fiercely discreet. Yeah. And so it sounds like you used the vision and the strategy to inspire others to do it. Were there learnings along the way as you advise companies how to do this that you really think other companies as they take this on should follow? It's a great question, Kim. Well, I've learned a lot since joining McKinsey. So, you know, I left the government knowing what I knew and being able to do this in a handful of programs. And that was Mm -hmm. great. So I leave and I, you know, I join up with McKinsey as a senior advisor. And the most common thing I'm asked to help on is digital transformation. Mm-hmm. There is a common script when the door closes for the first time with a client. They all say, how far behind are we? <laughs> there is a general perception, especially in aerospace and defense, that everyone is behind. And, and that's actually not the case. That's the good news. Now, Formula One is way ahead. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about how, what they do and why it's amazing. But defense is actually doing a good job of leading the charge if they continue to follow up. So that's usually the first thing I tell companies is you're not as far behind as you think. You're actually in a place to drive this industry. But then the second thing is that you are going to have to be involved at the C-suite level. You can't put this in your change management engine and just have digital transformation comes out as a byproduct. 
this has to be driven through discrete events that are often painful uh, organizationally and potentially expensive, especially on the modeling and simulation. It takes an investment approach. And I think most of the clients we've engaged have gotten that and are doing a good job. It's just, it's not easy. I mean, that's what I try to leave them with. If this was easy, it would have happened. You will be blazing new trail, but if you've got the right team and sufficient data, others have blazed it and you can too. You mentioned the team. How did you in the Air Force and how do you tell companies to build the capabilities they'll need? Because many of these digital capabilities are very different than the capabilities that exist today. There's no easy answer for this. Like if you and I start a software company today, we can deploy code on the same day we start Mm -hmm. because there is an amazing tech stack for developing code, which has so much automation in it for both developing and deploying this continuous integration, continuous delivery approach to software is so potent and powerful. And now that containerization allows it to go out to devices with different kinds of computing on board, Mm -hmm. it's even more powerful than it was when it was first birthed uh, about uh, eight years ago. So software has an amazing tool set to do what is now just being applied to hardware. And most companies will have to start by creating a development platform to enable digitization. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of them will lose a little of enthusiasm is that I'm going to have to invest in this over time. I, I really wanted a quick win. But then the good news we have is that you get quick wins that have significant value before your full tool set is done. Mm-hmm. And like some of the things that, that companies have been really excited about have been being able to do things more in parallel when they have to typically be done in serial uh, in, in aerospace. Well, when you can do things in parallel. They're more cycle time. Cycle time is a great metric that you typically want to track in digital transformation. You have more time for engineering, not integration. Integration starts becoming easier when you bake that into the tools themselves. You can see these windfalls early on, Mm -hmm. far in advance of doing something like Formula One, like certifying something Mm -hmm. digitally. And so that's the good news is that with the proper strategy, you can get the return on investment quickly enough to keep enthusiasm and keep momentum. But most companies have needed advice. I've definitely seen most lean towards we have so many digital transformation ideas in our roadmap. None of them actually crystallize and deliver Mm -hmm. something. And that was always my approach in the Air Force is that, great, we have head in the clouds ideas. That's great. We should always be dreaming big. But if there is not a project that makes a lightning bolt go from that cloud to energize the ground, like boots on the ground implementation details, nothing will stick and there will be no template to scale. And really all I've been doing since joining the McKinsey team is just helping companies be able to see across their portfolio where they can create these lightning bolts, where there is recurring value after they're done. They're not science experiments that prove this is possible. Formula One proves it's possible. The goal is to now productize it for clients. We see a lot of times companies struggle, even though they're trying to measure the value, actually thinking about the metrics and how to drive the value all the way to the bottom line. They will, to your point, there will be a great idea and they'll start it. But then 
actually capturing the value is very difficult. What did you do in the Air Force to ensure that happened? Was it the metrics? Yeah, metrics are the thing that I think all organizations are going to rely on because when you do digital transformation correctly, Mm -hmm. you're effectively turning hardware into software. That's what Formula One has done, right? Their cars, which have a lot of hardware in them, Mm -hmm. are software. So digital transformation is going to let hardware eat the world too via software's Mm -hmm. process. Well, there's a ton of methodology in Agile Mm -hmm. for tracking, like, how are you managing your backlog? How's your cycle time? How are you doing deficiency retirement? All of that applies. Mm -hmm. You just have to put it at a different time scale. And then there's this peculiar thing that sometimes physical testing and prototyping will still be needed if you're pushing a boundary because hardware compiles in the real world. I mean, we're watching airplanes fly out here, right? (laughs) Their computer is the universe, and we're trying to substitute a metaverse for it. Well, if you don't have the data to anchor that metaverse, you're still going to have to prototype and test. But what you should never do is do something in the physical world that you could do digitally. Mm -hmm. And that's what Formula One is great at. And I think in the Air Force, we were good early on of knowing what we could fully shift to digitization. And I would argue without digitization, there is no way that the Sentinel program, the replacement for the Minuteman 3, could succeed because you can only test intercontinental ballistic missiles occasionally, four times a year. That's not enough data to validate via physical testing. So digitization is absolutely required. So it was a necessity that made us clear-eyed about what substitutes for reality and what doesn't. You mentioned data a couple of times. Many companies will say that's a challenge for them. What great ways have you seen people tackling that today, even though we're probably not where we need to be eventually? No one has enough data. That's just a universal problem. And certainly was true for us in the government, in the Air Force and Space Force. If you don't have a data roadmap, and I hate the term roadmap, so let's a, a no-kidding data strategy mm-hmm. that people are accountable for and that are resourced and properly empowered to execute, then there's a lot you can do, but you ultimately can't go the distance mm-hmm. with digital transformation. So that has been a common recurring theme, is that the teams that are doing that digital lightning bolt, that first big project, which is how I approached everything in the Air Force, you know, let's do one lightning bolt at a time until people can replicate them without leadership having to direct them anymore. The most common bit of advice on data has been you need a team that that's what they do. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about how to unlock, collect, change the data calculus from the way it works today. I was with a, a McKinsey client and they were talking about, well, we don't understand. We won't be able to understand what happened at this part of our process life cycle. And I told them, but you can change that. You can change the design of your system so the thing you say is not knowable because it's not knowable today is knowable. That is an input from a data view of that program, which would not be an output from the hardware view of that. And unless you make that someone's day-to-day job, you're just going to be lucky if you happen to have a program manager that happens to think like a, a data scientist as well as a program manager mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, tricky thing. What about leveraging ecosystems and other partnerships to try and harness some of those capabilities or data sources? Have you seen that work well? 
It's worked well, especially in space. There's a lot of commercially available data that you can begin with to start training algorithms. So you shouldn't recreate what exists. I think the hardest challenge, it was certainly a, a very hard challenge for me in the government, was when you hit models and simulations, uh, aerospace and dispense especially, is model rich. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many models and simulations we had in the Air Force, but it, it must be thousands. I mean, in the high thousands. And all of those models are built by people for people. There's a team of experts that know how to use them. And if you're not an expert, you can't use that model appropriately. You may get an answer, but it's not a valid one. And so if you asked a question like, can we fly an F-22 into harm's way under these conditions? The answer is simple. It's either yes or no with a certain probability. But to answer that, you would have to take that question and start decomposing it into the right subset of the problem for particular models. And then people did that decomposition. People ran the models. People took the outputs, integrated them together, and then ultimately bring an answer back to a decision maker on paper. And the first thing you have to do if you want to do digital transformation for hardware is you need to start directly connecting those models. And that's not simple. You would think, oh, how hard could it be? Well, models, you know, they're, they're replicating reality. No one can do that perfectly. Mm-hmm. So they're making lots of estimations. And unless you can get the way those estimations happen to be congruent with each other, you can get terms that seem sensible, but that would be dangerous to go take as a, like, a result to make a real-world decision based on. So the hard work for us in the Air Force was knowing that as we move between different models, we weren't picking up error sources we didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And how did you get buy-in to those models? Because that is a another big challenge, is getting people to trust the virtual reality that you've created. It does. I mean, as we watch the, the airplanes fly here, it makes us feel good and feel more confident when we've designed something to see it physically built and mm-hmm. tested. That's just human nature. And it's also fun. So mm-hmm. let's not take that away. <laughs> uh, it's fun to build things and watch them work. And there's a tendency to think that that's real and the digital thing is not, mm-hmm. right? Because you can go touch it. But if you think about from a certification standpoint, those physical things are not the same unit to unit. There's variation. The test conditions are not the same day to day. The measurement conditions are not perfectly accurate nor precise. So what we call real is actually just an estimation. It's electronic signals interpreted not by our brains, as Morpheus said in The Matrix. It's just interpreted by computers. It's not real. It's an estimation. A model and simulation is just an estimation that has different error sources. And the question was really, can we minimize the error to an acceptable rate Mm -hmm. that would work as if it were physical data. And the way that we got the Air Force to agree that we could do that was just by bringing in certifiers early. So in a company, if you spring this on whoever is your quality or safety person at the 11th hour, you're probably not going to get a high five. If you bring them in and have them start thinking about the different error statistics from physical data to virtual data, you're likely to find a path where you can do some early substitutes. And that's what starts building the confidence that, yeah, yeah, we can now replicate many aspects of reality sufficient that we don't have to go build the physical thing and test it anymore. That's just recreating old data. So we should have a a fierce desire to end non-recurring engineering. Mm 
Engineering should be recurring. And that's that's what really happens once you get digitally transformed. Engineering is always recurring. And occasionally, if you're doing something that pushes new physics, then that's the time to physically build and test. And just like Formula One, you stream a bunch of data off that system, it goes right back to your digital model, and now your modeling ecosystem is even better. What you're talking about is a pretty fundamental and massive cultural shift in a company, not just the capabilities that we were talking about earlier, but just the way people function on a day-to-day basis. What did you do in the Air Force to actually drive that cultural shift? I had a big advantage which was luck. Uh, Luck is always your best way to get ahead. When I went to the Air Force, I knew you can't focus on too many things. I've I've watched government leaders do that. Nothing. You can't get anything of depth. If you don't get depth, it doesn't scale. If it doesn't scale, you have no impact. It all ends up being talking points. So I wanted to be very, very focused. And the thing that I focused on first was really software, because I had been working with Eric Schmidt on the Defense Innovation Board, learned a lot about how private sector developed software, realized It's not really a product anymore. It's a process. They've operationalized it, to use our term, and we need to operationalize Mm -hmm. it. And so focus very, very heavily on that. And it was hard at first, but once we had that first success, like we started looking like Google in the Air Force, others replicated the process Mm -hmm. because it it was not a one-and-done experiment. It was a scalable process, and that meant bringing in contracting professionals, business managers, so that it it was not an experiment. It was a new way of doing business. So when it was time to bring hardware to the dance, we had already had that turning, right? That's what I was passionate about. I was like, oh, this is basically agile for hardware. We can think the same way. We can act the same way. And so it just really uploaded a lot of the things that, you know, that, that we had already been learning from software. But I definitely saw in some parts of the Air Force, and I see it in companies, that you talk the talk, but there is a product-centric mm-hmm. tunnel vision that just comes back in. The first thing that goes through your transformed process, where you're trying to do quick cycles, continuous integration, continuous delivery, but in a hardware sense, you'll have that first voice that says, too risky, you know, it's going to take too long, too much cost. And so what's, what do you do when that happens? You slow it down. Right. And that's especially true in aerospace where systems are complex and you have a lot of subsystems. Mm -hmm. And just like if you've got 10 kids and you've got to leave at a certain time, the likelihood that one of those kids is going to be late and make the whole group late is very high. Well, that's why defense programs are always late. There are a lot of kids that have to get in the van and one of them is late. And so you can always be assured that if you say the program is likely going to deliver late statistics, math itself Mm -hmm. is on your side. Contrast that product. And, and, and is that a wrong thinking? No, that's exactly the right thinking. If you need all of those subsystems on the platform to fight the war, and if integration is hard, that's the assumption that I find underlies this. Integration is hard, too risky. So we have to design for all of the integration at once so that when it goes into production, we don't have any like quality escape that goes from design to production. But in digital transformation, I've watched companies do this. There is no reason to wait on the kid that's still getting ready. You can come pick them up later, right? (laughs) I have watched companies design for something that didn't exist yet. Go ahead and go to market with their platform and then drop the thing in after the fact and go operate the same day they dropped it in. 
watched that. Mm -hmm. So when I see that, I think, wow, that's process thinking. It's Formula One, by the way, one of the amazing things about them is that over the course of a racing season, 85% of their car improves. So their first car, by the time they get to the final race, would be the slowest car on the track. So if you think about this, Formula One can't, if you ask them, like, are they producing race cars to win? No, any, there is no race car that can win in Formula One today. It is a race car building process that wins. They have operationalized a process and applied it to racing. And I think that mindset is just very hard right now in government and in aerospace and defense. And that was probably the biggest impediment was just diverting back to product thinking. Very true. Are there other companies that you have seen do it well in addition to for you've used that example a lot? Have you seen other companies or even sub-industries that you're seeing making advancements outside of military? I have. I mean, a lot of them, thanks to working with you, Kim, you've introduced me to a lot of them. I see some really great progress in, in agriculture, which I had no idea was as digitally transformed, but agriculture pretty much looks like science fiction now with very precise use of artificial intelligence across almost everything that happens. So I had no idea that when you're going out and harvesting something, you've got AI that's looking at the height of what you're harvesting and adjusting cut patterns and adjusting how much you know herbicide is sprayed and, and even recycling the organic waste as fertilizer in real time. All of that happening because that physical farming apparatus is connected to its digital cloud and is is really living that Formula One model today, but for a you know a very important problem, producing food. I've seen it in medical devices. I've seen it in pharma. I've seen it uh, start emerging in the automotive industry with Industry 4.0 manufacturing, which is nearly completely automated. So it, it's coming. The reason I hold up Formula One is is it's the only industry, if we call it an industry, that has that I think has completely transformed and shows us how fast the pace of competition may be in future. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine in aerospace and defense, by if we had to deal with 85% obsolescence every year. Mm -hmm. Well, their obsolescence isn't because supply chains ran out. Their obsolescence is that it's outdated from a competitive standpoint. If we had to deal with that, our process breaks because we buy products. So I think that's the transformation that's still left. But I think the thing that surprised me after leaving government is that they're not more examples. Mm -hmm. I mean, the statistics show most companies put digital transformation like in a top three priority on their list, but very few of them think they're seeing value. Yeah. It's that slippery slope between reality and near reality. If it's near reality, you can't substitute for it. If it's reality, you can it's very easy to miss reality in your digital ecosystem and just create something that's really just a better simulation, but is not the same as what we're watching out here, a substitute for physical test. So where would you like to see product development or R&D in five years? Or where do you think it'll get to? Most industries, because they're not races, you know, and they have to produce things in quantity, they're never going to go to the extreme that, that Formula One is today. 
But what I do want to see, especially in aerospace and defense, is the gap shrink between R&D and production. With software-enabled manufacturing with a high degree of automation coming into you know, to a lot of industries, I don't think there's going to be as big of a case for mass production anymore. It's far beyond 3D printing, right? I mean, manufacturing is becoming a software-enabled enterprise. In fact, you can... You can create a metaverse for your manufacturing alone, and, and companies do. So I think that's going to be the, the trend that I'm watching is, can we bring the, the gap closer so that, yes, you may not have quite the economy of scale, but mm-hmm. via automation and advanced manufacturing, you can now afford faster cycle times. That brings more R&D into your products, which is going to increase innovation. And my prediction is that the companies that harness that first will really shake up the market that they're in. It is such a competitive advantage, mm-hmm. and they'll have to do the the pivot. Think of themselves less as a company that makes products and more of a company that is managing a product-making process that is superior. It's really the process that gives you agility, mm-hmm. right? You can adapt to things, just like Formula One adapts to whatever changes in the racing season come up in weather. Process gives you adaptability, and that's another reason I I would want it uh, running a company is that I don't know what the future is going to be like, but if I'm confident I've got the most agile, adaptable process, I can feel that I will lead my industry because I can outturn, to use an Air Force term, I can outturn my opponent. And if I can outturn my opponent, then I get to pull the trigger first. That's great. Any other reflections, just as a last question before we open it up to the audience, any other reflections of advice for companies as they're trying to take this on a fairly daunting task? Uh, A few. One, do it. It's fun. It's not as hard as people think, but it is hard. So just go in knowing this is not, not a cakewalk. To get help. I got help, you know, from from people who had done this before. That's how I was able to guide the Air Force. No one should, I mean, in this ending non-recurring engineering uh, thought, you shouldn't relearn what someone else has learned, right? So that's thing too, is get help so that you get it right the first time. And the most important thing is don't wait. Because as amazing as what we've discussed is, and it is, it's truly amazing how fast innovation is happening via digital transformation. It is going to get worse, I guess, if you don't do it and better if you do. Because what digital transformation is enabling is AI to get out of the Internet of Things into the physical world. You know, software didn't, it didn't really eat the world. It ate, ate the Internet. It ate the dataverse, right? It ate the places where data is produced. It's naturally amenable for that. It has not crossed into the physical world. Because it has needed a representation of the physical world as software. That's this metaverse concept, a metaverse for engineers. Well, we've seen in examples, like in in other racing examples, where teams have trained, have trained AI to be a a racer and not just do it well, eventually do it better than any human team has ever done it before because it had such a frequent, rich source of digital data. And probably most interestingly, defy old logic Mm -hmm. for that sport. So if that has happened for competitive racing, 
and we certainly have seen it for chess and go. What's going to happen when AI gets into other industries? What kind of old logic for captaining industry is it going to defy? Mm -hmm. I think that's the so what. That's why I think this will be an industrial revolution is that it turns hardware into software and lets AI have access to physical things that it can master. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, I expect the pace of innovation is going to increase even more. You just don't want to be behind that power curve. Mm -hmm. It's already fast and it's going to get faster. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Will. Great discussion. I was particularly interested to hear the story behind Dr. Roper's famous paper, There Is No Spoon, and also the need for digital transformation to be driven by senior leadership. It has to be a top-down effort underpinned by time investment and capability building. You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Christian Johnson. We'll be covering more aspects of digital twin transformation in coming episodes. So don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to hear them first.